Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of AST. Maddie B and CK here, and we're going to open up a discussion about skepticism and curiosity. And that's the topic that's on both of our minds. And I am definitely skeptical about a lot of things. And I feel like sometimes I'm alone in in some of my skepticism. Um, and, and it can also be a slippery slope to be stubborn. So we're going to kind of go through what that looks like to us. Yeah. Com- kind of what what, do you feel the same way or do you feel differently i mean that's just my thought on it and i don't openly share a lot about my thoughts that i'm skeptical on because i feel like like i said you're a little you're a little alone out there yeah i mean at the end of the day i think part of who i am is definitely being radically skeptical and skeptical of everything and always questioning myself and questioning my assumptions and questioning the things I'm told or the things that I read because there's a lot of misinformation, things that aren't truthful out there nowadays. And you really do have to be checking yourself because I would say that misinformation comes from both directions and it's, it's just tough to know whether it's intentional misinformation or it's just, misrepresented facts or data um you you have to really be critically thinking nowadays to to make good decisions and i think the reason that we wanted to have this discussion in the first place is not only because we tend to fall in the category of people who are skeptical and naturally curious and that's just kind of what is required of us in our lines of work in how we're trying to invest and what we do in our personal time but it's a much broader societal issue where we're not really allowed to to be skeptical anymore because either you know you're labeled a conspiracy theorist or a threat or just downright crazy but i think if you look back historically every amazing scientific discovery or innovation was built on a foundation of skepticism. Skepticism for, you know, potentially things don't have to be the way that they currently are or we're not seeing things the way that they truly are. And questioning these assumptions that are widely held by people. And I don't think that if we completely eliminate skepticism, I think that we're going to be pretty much at a standstill you've seen it kind of get to that place you know technology was once an amazing thing that advanced us very rapidly and it still does to some extent but it's it's become it's made us a lot more inefficient and it's made us really um, unproductive as a society in many ways as well and and I think that we need to get back to the to the land of innovation and the mindset of constantly questioning things once again yeah and i would say uh you know in the recent 12 months versus uh any time period before that there was there was a there was an overload of information from all directions it it was way more than even two-sided uh, you, you know, you could call each platform that you view a, a side and an angle 
and a representation of information. And critical thinking, I do believe, is necessary in being skeptical, but uh, because it allows you to analyze if your skepticism starts checking boxes of legitimacy. And then you can hopefully start to build on your beliefs and hopefully be honest with yourself when you identify valid uh, information that maybe contradicts it. And, and that's where you get to the point of, in my opinion, having beliefs that, that like may be uncommon or that go against what we all may participate in. Like, do I really believe that the different policies in all of these different states for the mask mandate and the vaccine distribution have produced, you know, valid statistics for one is better than the other. And like, I don't really believe that. Do I comply with all orders? Yeah, I do. But that doesn't really mean that I'm like behind whatever the, uh, (laughs) message that's being pushed out into specifically our place because there is discrepancies in policies well so i think that the thing is is that we've become so tribal over specific policies or actions and that's caused us to lose sight of the overarching goal and we have continued to participate in specific mandates or whatever policy is put in place just for the sake of doing so because it's tribal like i said but there's really no efficacy or effectiveness to it for example one thing that comes to mind with me is is having schools shut down right there's there's not a whole lot of data i'm not saying that it's one or the other but the data does not support that cases are increasing any more dramatically in areas that have reopened schools as compared to places where uh, school has stayed remote. And this has become such a tribal issue that at this point, the, the goal was always to keep the children safe, keep their families safe. And if we're not seeing any difference... Why are the schools closed? Now, I'm not saying I'm swaying one way or the other. I'm just trying to put the facts out there that the data doesn't show one way or another. And if you start to come out and speak about any type of skepticism you have around those issues, you immediately are called like, you know, uh, insensitive or like you don't care about people's lives or you know, how, how could you think that way? Or you're a, a number of isms that they can call you. I'm not going to get into the list because I don't even want to speak the words and be associated with it. But you can be labeled as so many different things just because of, of one bit of skepticism. Even without taking a side, they'll put you in a side. Well, and that, and that actually is... <laughs> uh is happening to a certain extent in the curiosity phase you know stomping on curiosity you know tends to prohibit skepticism because it never even gets there so uh i think some of the questions that get asked about those subjects inherently 
you become a skeptic when really you're just asking valid questions and the amount of dodging around those questions in, in just in general of our leadership, right? Because of the election structure and campaigns, um, there's an, there's an incredible amount of just not attending to legitimate questions at all. Yeah, and and this is this isn't necessarily regarding our politicians, but you look at some of the more recent um, testimonies given in front of Congress from people involved with the whole GameStop, Wall Street bets, Robin Hood scenario. You get up there and they're asking you questions, and you legitimately don't even have to answer the question. Yeah, you can sit up there and you can give them a roundabout. You know, this is what my lawyer told me to say. Answer. And it gives you zero things to to take back and actually work with. And and our politicians do that all the time, too. And they don't have to answer to anyone. They should. They should have to answer to us. But the thing is, in my opinion, they've gained a significant amount of power, especially in the last year, with their ability to dictate and tell us what we can and can't do who we can and can't see, what businesses can and cannot operate, that they're no longer the servants to us, which that's the whole point of public service and being a public servant is you are in service to the people, not the other way around. Can I make a devil's advocate argument? 100%. I love it. So I think a lot of the um, stuff that you're talking about stems from, you know, the delivery method. Um I think that they are actually still portraying that they're in service of us by, you know, making decisions for us on our safety. And while while that could get into a long conversation of, you know, this was a real virus, it does it, it did exist and things. Um the The fact of the matter is is that these politicians are framing things in a way that seems genuine. Yes, that's exactly what I was referring to. But it's if you are skeptical and you curious. might be and curious, you might be able to see through that. It, but the, dude, it's hard because <laughs> these uh, the amount of information that you would need to know about these subjects, even if you look at the length of these bills, um, these are, uh, I would actually argue, impossible for the average citizen to really participate and be involved and understand. And and that inherently is a problem. Um, I don't know how it got to that place, um, but there's some details in being curious that you will start to take a look at inside these bills and, and where the money's being allocated to and whether it has to do with COVID and whether it doesn't. And, and I think that there's a lot of people that legitimately needed help, but uh, we've gotten lost in the ability for us to really understand what's going on at a grand scale and talk about 
the pros and cons to these actions because everything does have a consequence even if it was legitimate what 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 is the pros and cons well exactly and in you should in this country i believe that part of our values allow us to to openly debate and question the government and 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 ask the types of questions about you know what are the pros what are the cons you know what do we think the long-term consequences of taking these actions are but you really start to creep into authoritarian territory when you're no longer allowed to ask these questions, to, to ask any question at all or to be skeptical without being labeled as the enemy. And you know what the really unique thing is, is, is <laughs> some, of the, some of the silence that used to be silent, which was kind of on the U.S. dollar uh, fiscal policy and, you know, the debasement of our currency. It's funny that a lot of those topics are now everywhere. They're on CNBC. They're they're everywhere. And and if you would have looked back in two thousand eight or nine, you know, those weren't really talked about in the mainstream media when the bailouts happened for that time period. So it, it's funny how certain things are allowed to. Um, be discussed out in the open and and how and others are not and others are not and so yeah and i'd like to maybe walk back and wonder or in question maybe like or explore why that is and some of the ways how they're kind of shunning or like silencing skepticism if you will because there are a couple of ways that they're doing it and people might not even realize they're doing it, but whether it's causing them to directly, you know, not participate in acts of skepticism and curiosity or, you know, subconsciously, it's just causing them to avoid it altogether. So the first, which I've already alluded to before, is people will put you into a category or put you into a group, associate you with something that is viewed negatively in society that nobody would want to be associated with if they want to live a productive and healthy and decent life, right? I mentioned the isms is what I call it, you know, because there's so many different categories that they can put you into and they can spin it any which way. Um, So that's the first and that, that can cause you to get canceled, right? We've talked about cancel culture before and it can ruin your reputation and there's there's a real fear in being canceled. And and I think everyone has a right to to be afraid of what happens if you get canceled. And Yeah, I mean there's there's real decisions and thought processes that have to be made for a lot of people. Yes, and the fact that, you know, people's actions are now being either they're not taking those actions or the actions are being changed or minimized. Well, they're being manipulated with leverage and forcing people to make a different decision. Exactly. That's what it is. It's manipulation, but it's not, it's mass manipulation. It's not like it's one person against another. It's not one to one. It's almost many to one or many to many. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are in a position where, um, they just don't have a lot of leverage. Yes, absolutely. And and that's, you know, we're getting to a point where many people are becoming uncancelable and we're having this, de- we talked about decentralization on the last episode and I think we're going to have a decentralization of the labor economy at some point here and that'll, that'll free up some of the 
cancelability, if you will, um, for a lot of people. They'll be able to speak their mind because a lot of the cancellation is tied to people's employment and livelihoods um, and fear of losing that. Um, but the, the second kind of way that skepticism is silenced or manipulated is through complexity. And one example of this, I'm looking at a, an article from the Boston Globe right now, and it talks about how the COVID-19 relief bill is part of a bill that's more than 5,000 pages long, prompting complaints over lack of transparency. So that article was from a couple, months, a couple of months ago, December 21st, 2020. And the fact that that's a 5,000 page bill is pretty ridiculous because if I remember correctly, these lawmakers were given less than 24 hours, could have been even less than that, to read through 5,000 pages of material. And I don't care if you have every aide in Washington, D.C., there's not going to be enough to read through that for every single person voting on the matter. And there sure as heck isn't going to be enough time for the average person who's working, living a life, has other obligations. There's no way that they could honestly be skeptical about that bill and really look at it and maybe give a call to their, you know, state legislators or their the the representatives from their state and give their opinion and voice their opinion on, hey, this is what we think you should or shouldn't do. Because it's just too complex and it's too dense for anyone to actually get through and make a reasonable conclusion about the pros and the cons yeah. like you mentioned before absolutely and and so so you 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 flood it with all of this unnecessary information that makes it impossible to be skeptical so you're either doing it through manipulation and fear or complexity both of which in my opinion represent a form of authoritarianism well and and both were in existence in these examples the emergency um was the motive and the complexity was the deterrent. Yeah, hey, this is so quick. We need to get this bill through. Um but yeah, we're going to we're going to overload it so you don't actually have a chance to make a decision. You're just going to have to make it on the surface level. Unfortunately, the bill didn't actually go through at Correct. that juncture. Um th- there's been a couple revisions. It sounds like that it will be pushed through soon in some form. Um don't know that minimum wage is is going to make it in there for whatever reason um it looks like that one has been negotiated out um you can say what you want about that but um i think i think getting people back to work would be the more important focus in establishing a workforce and jobs to recreate a lower employment in a higher labor workforce as a percentage of the population. A lower unemployment? Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, and a higher total percentage of people being employed, you know, because we do have a little bit of an age population situation where um, <clears throat> we would have been at a disadvantage prior to having massive unemployment, so that's going to probably exacerbate itself at some point. Um, or, or maybe it won't because uh, the way that these bills seem to be going through and uh, our markets being supported, you know, maybe maybe money is not as uh, in limited supply. Yeah. Um, so kind of 
rerouting back to skepticism and curiosity. So I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I feel like it was something that I I saw my family openly engaged in debate. That was something that I grew up on and it was, you know, questioning particularly my father's side of the family. That's just who we are. We, we debate, we're known for it. It's a thing in our family. Doesn't surprise me. And, um, yeah, I know. How would you say that? Um, (laughs) um, and I know not everyone is like that, but I just know that had I not had that experience growing up, I wouldn't be as skeptical and curious as I am today. And I was always known for the amount of questions that I asked. And my fear is that, you know, not everyone has that as close to home. They don't always have that, you know, skepticism rooted in their family. But if they're able to see it, and whether it's in school through learning about the scientific method, or it's at work or on television or whatever, and you, you see people actively questioning authority, um, whether it's authority or just principles, principles or assumptions, things like operational that. Operational structures. It's, it's important, and it, it's what gives us people like Elon Musk, right? Absolutely. It, it gives us the people that are so, what many would label as crazy to question the like basic assumptions that we build our lives off of and what happens if you take that away what happens if you no longer allow skepticism and curiosity to flourish to exist or to flourish what do you lose what do we miss out on what what happens well uh generally speaking not good things, not good economic things, not good societal things, in my opinion, um, because the limited supply of people that would be allowed to do that, because there still will be people, it would just be in a limited supply fashion. Yeah. Um, I do find it interesting just how things balance out with the markets with the labor force we talked about centralization decentralization how things how things naturally achieve an equilibrium for example we have seen a rise in authority i don't want to say authoritarianism of uh, centralization in the government and decision making and we've seen the rise of cancel culture and we've we are now seeing decentralization come in naturally. It's almost as if it's like the, the I don't know if it's the world or the universe or the markets, um, just naturally balancing itself out and seeing that, okay, there's an opportunity here. There's a need for decentralization. There's a need for people to be able to speak freely without fear of losing their livelihoods. Because I think it, for many people, it's career that they're afraid of losing and they, they don't speak out. Like I know so many people who aren't themselves online or don't ask the same questions or don't show the same skepticism online. You should, you should be respectful and you should have integrity when you approach these types of conversations and you're skeptical and curious. Integrity is everything. In my opinion, you should not just be crazy and disrespectful online, but a lot of people are afraid of what if my employer saw this? Because what if I don't share the same political views? Or what if I don't share the same, you know, societal views 
as yeah. my employer. Yeah, I mean, I have personal friends of mine that have actually just deleted their accounts because uh, for various reasons, it's just like you described. Um, but, you know, it it is tough, dude, because being involved in that, if you, if you do voice uh, your opinions opening on some of these platforms, you know, there's a lot of interaction and there's a lot of emotional stimulation, usually in the aggravation category. And, you know, so there is there is a cost to that choice other than, you know, just the career aspect. It it comes down to like how emotional, you know, do I feel about sharing my opinions on this platform? I definitely do on, on various platforms I do, but I I don't really want to spend my time uh, engaging with people on an individual level at, at scale in, in basically arguments, right? Yes, that's just a waste of my time. And a lot of times it's very unproductive. And so but it but it becomes unproductive. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off. But just one piece. It's 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 unproductive. I totally agree. We've had this conversation both on and off this podcast about how engaging in this on social media is pretty unproductive. And I think the reason why is because we haven't effectively been taught how to be skeptical. And it's it's weird to say being taught to communicate. Communicate. Yes. But. And just to be respectful. Because, dude, I have my opinions, right? But but uh, I don't really, like, I don't really need anybody else to believe those. Like, I, I, I will stand my ground. Um, but I think when you really want to convince somebody else of your side of the street, um, if, if it's not done with just simple information that you can present in a debate, basically, I... Uh, a lot of the conversation tends to get uh, worded in a forceful, forceful manner, if you will, right? Like uh, you're imposing your will on somebody. And I just think that we have yet to really want or need to adequately equip ourselves with, you know, a louder, more concise voice. Yeah, and there's there are frameworks in place to have effective dialogues on the internet and to or just to have effective dialogues in general, whether it's in person or on the internet, and to communicate effectively and to show skepticism and to question things. That is, that's what the scientific method is. And if we get rid of that as a society and we don't teach people how to do it, we're going to be in a world of hurt. I, I do agree, but do you think it's possible to actually do that? To get rid of it? No, I mean actually teach people. Yes. To, to answer the question, I don't know and I don't have the solution. I'm really good, if you can't tell, at identifying problems. Getting, <laughs> getting to the solution is the tough part. It is, dude. And um, all I can do is try and implement it in my own life and be an example for myself and for others. One one thing that we've talked about recently, and I, I, I think is a pretty good example, is Bitcoin and the skepticism that we need to show in that space. And now this 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 may or may not be a relevant 
comparison. Uh, a comparison or example for for some some of you listening out there, but just bear with me and and try and try and hear me out. So Bitcoin is a perfect example of something that embodies a lot of the characteristics we've talked about so far on this podcast. For example, the community is very tribal. Um, it's you have a lot of very passionate people in the Bitcoin community. It also grew out of people who were skeptical. People who were skeptical of the traditional financial system and unlimited ability to print money and the ability to commit fraud and a system that required trust. There was skepticism around that, whether it spawned after the financial crisis in 2007 and eight, or some other reason. A lot of these people joined because things just weren't working the way they always thought that they were led to believe that they actually operate. There's skepticism, and now you have a group of people that are very tribal about it. And I see a lot of people who fail to be skeptical um, regarding Bitcoin. And, and I'm not t- saying they have to, to, to be a Bitcoin maximalist and be a Bitcoin bull or a fan. But there's a lot of people who just write it off. And if you were to have a conversation with these people about what what they actually know about it, they don't know a whole lot. And I think that if you're going to write something off, I'm totally cool with you doing that. But I at least expect you to try and understand it first. Because there's no sin in being wrong. The sin is in staying wrong. And after you know the right answer. And you know the information. But you can only get there if you're skeptical and curious. And so, really, the thing that Matt and I have been talking about recently is is the Bitcoin versus alternative or altcoin debate. And should we be diversified? Should we be allocated into just one or multiple? And, you know, whether, whether you or, or should you be in, allocated at all? We're not financial advisors. We're not, just to be clear, we're not telling them what to do. We're just walking through our thought process here. So, Matt, um, you know, speak up if I'm if I'm misrepresenting you. But the thing was is, you know, we we knew a lot about Bitcoin. And we And that's simply because of the hours spent on finding information about that specific uh crypt, crypto asset, cryptocurrency. And and we exactly. And we had a lot of conviction around that asset. But there's hundreds, if not thousands, of other cryptocurrencies out there. And we were able to pretty quickly find every reason why not to invest in those things without doing any any additional research, right? We were able to just reinforce our biased opinion of why Bitcoin is the best. But the fact of the matter is, Bitcoin has some limitations, some of its limitations are actually very beneficial and add value to the ecosystem and add value to the to the network. But there's also some some of its downsides that could be capitalized by other innovations and technologies. And and my fear is that the same way that a lot of people did or have missed or sorry or are continuing to miss the upside and potential of, of Bitcoin, which I personally um, believe is there, I fear that I miss out on something else. 
Now I have limited time to invest into understanding and really, really becoming knowledgeable, deep and knowledgeable in these different crypto assets. But it's worth at least doing doing the research and knowing what questions you want to ask because if you don't, you will most definitely be left in the dust. Um, I don't think Bitcoin's going anyway anytime, anytime soon, in my opinion, so that I at least have that going for me. But I do want to be prepared in the event that something else were to come up. I at least know it's there and have a, have a foundational understanding of, of what, what this technology really brings to light. And I think there can be multiple that exist. It doesn't have to just be Bitcoin, right? Well, I think inevitably it will be multiple. Um, I think that's almost a certainty. I think I think Ethereum has at least proven that there is ideally some sort of technology built on top of the blockchain besides Bitcoin that has a different purpose. Because right now, Bitcoin is is definitely a storage of, of wealth. That's that's what its main purpose is, and we're gonna see what that evolves to. But yeah, I mean there's 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 skepticism and, and curiosity in the decisions that i inevitably made uh because the risk profile once something has been de-risked to a certain extent you know and you and you're capable of wrapping your head around it to a really in-depth understanding point gives that conviction um as well as the sheer market capitalization of bitcoin you start to really ask yourself, okay, like what is going on with the rest of the market? And there's a ton going on, right? It, it, it actually is interesting that this is coming to some sort of fruition right now when really this journey was started back like way over a decade ago, right? Bitcoin, uh, 2010, nine, and it is ironic that it was during the last financial crisis. We bounced out of that one pretty darn good in retrospect. Um, they kind of like everything went back to normal pretty quick. I think a lot of this technology was ahead of its time. So there's a lot of data around the history of Bitcoin. And, and when you're making the decision to where you have a belief in the foundation that's that's what Bitcoin was to me, right? And when you talk about time allocation, I might have known that there are other protocols and altcoins and uses for blockchain, but those aren't investable for me. And curiosity and skepticism helped me decipher those decisions. And based on my risk tolerance and the amount of money that I had to work with. But I also think if you're a skeptic, too much in the other way, meaning Bitcoin is God, it's the holy grail, it's the only thing that exists, and 95% of your whole livelihood is put into it, that actually still might pan out really great for you, um, but that's just not something I'm interested in. And again, the conversations get f like imposing will upon people. And so if you look at what I follow most of the time, dude, it's like, it, it is Bitcoin, like, pondered into your head information. And, like, you see people, like, down-talking every other crypto a lot of the times. But, dude, they have functional utility, and they're going to expand. And some of them will fail. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, many of them will fail. Probably more will fail than will succeed. So, 
it's definitely not important. It's important to not write off the entire industry because now it's moved so far forward that you have institutions. I mean, it's integrated with the traditional system to a certain extent. And the other way is silly to be overly skeptic that anything else can um, provide a utility in the ecosystem. I mean, there's, there's, there's like Bitcoin, the only thing exists people out there. Oh, Bitcoin maximalists yes. is what, what, what they're called. And, and that's fine if that's what you want to be. And to some extent, I am that because I have a very strong opinion about it and I, I enjoy learning about it a lot. But I also believe that if you don't put yourself in a position to be skeptical of yourself and your own beliefs you run the risk of committing failures or just falling victim to pitfalls that are so easily identifiable if you just pay attention to other things that have failed and why other things have failed and why things haven't succeeded or the opposite you miss seeing things that are going to be really successful because you failed to really do some second order thinking and pay attention to why other things are successful that's what it is it's it's skepticism isn't just about asking the asking questions it's about asking the right questions and doing some second order thinking so so going one layer deep than just that first question yeah and the more layers you peel back um the more layers you actually realize that exist and and then you start being able to gauge yourself in the ability to make decisions with incomplete information in my opinion absolutely and and that provides you a lot of value. But unfortunately, the reality is it actually requires a shitload of time. Like all of these things we're talking about are, are like our observations and opinions and our uh, tendencies in the way we think and the way we believe. But like that only really comes from, you know, your own individual time and effort to really get into the weeds on, on a lot of things. And sometimes uh, it is a little information overload, but I, but I, I want to keep up with things so I can understand what's going on and, and maybe have a chance to adapt and take advantage of the movement of society because the future is always coming. And if you look at the people who have an idea or a belief in what that looks like, they, they, I would rather be in that position than to, to not make a prediction at all. And I want my prediction to be good. So I'm going to spend the time that I can with the brain that I have, uh, and, and, and try my best. Yeah. And so super interesting, uh, that you say that. So I think for me, one of the reasons that I think this podcast is super important for me and for you is because getting our opinions out there automatically if you state your opinion in general and you have an opinion it makes you that much more emotionally invested in your opinion being being correct, right, being correct. <laughs> and now there's two ways that people can take that then they can either have escalation of commitment to that theory and never let go or not theory that uh, opinion or whatever you want to call it that hypothesis and never let go of it. And that's not that's not the right way to do that because you have to be willing to adjust 
your hypotheses or your opinions when confronted with new information or data that changes. You should be able to change based on the data and based on the evidence, right? And based on your conclusions. Um, and you need to weight the importance of it and see how much should it change your opinion, if at all. But um, nevertheless, you become more invested when you put your opinion out there. And um, in this podcast, for, for me, and I think for you too, it's an ability to get our opinion out there and to to have the opportunity to kind of work through these kinks and work through our thought process publicly, whether people listen to it or not, it's, it's out there for us. And, and for me, I become more emotionally invested in, in being right, not in my opinion that I'm speaking on any given day being right, but just in trying to find the right answer. And there's not always a clear answer, but just trying to source good information and to decipher which information do I want to take with a grain of salt and which information do I want to weigh it a little bit more heavily. And in doing that, it's, it's helped me a lot and it's caused me to really invest in, in developing my own, I would say, hopefully unique opinion um, and ideas. But, but to be honest, there's, there's nothing more then even before this podcast, that bugs me. Than people that just don't have an opinion. I I really I'm sorry. I'm not trying. To, I'm not trying to be rude. But well, did I actually would say that that uh, many people <laughs> would like the opposite. Many people would like uh, those opinions to stay quiet, which is fine, right? Like because I think there's an overwhelming amount of uh, of opinions, but. But they're not really delivered as opinions. They're delivered as this is the way it should be. Yeah, they're delivered as facts. And, and, and like not even facts necessarily, but like this is the way it should be. And if if you don't comply or agree with me, for instance, then you're one of those isms. Yeah. Um, you, yeah, you definitely can be placed like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a cop out. It really is. It's it's not it's not good for uh, productivity, like friendliness, camaraderie, moving towards a unanimous solution that makes sense and you know that that unfortunately to me uh doesn't necessarily mean you know like a inherently awesome outcome but but uh fair doesn't mean equal outcome you know like uh having equal opportunity does not equal the same results all the time. No, because different people put in different amounts of effort. They get different resources along the way. But I'm really wanting and 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 I really hope and I we're just trending in the opposite direction, so I don't have a lot of faith on it, but like I really hope that transpires into like the next wave of what we can do, you know, to our workforce which like starts with education like I believe that that would provide a lot of opportunities. And if you want to touch on the quote unquote self-employed economy a little bit, uh, I think that hits on decentralization and the freedom to be yourself and the freedom to earn a living at all at the same time. 
absolutely. And I think we'll see how long it takes to get there. But at the end of the day, I think people want freedom, not necessarily in like a super patriotic, like, you know, I want my guns and my... Well, there is that, there is that, but I'm saying, I'm just clarifying what I mean by freedom because it's honestly the word freedom has become a little bit, um, it's been kidnapped, right? And it's, it's been manipulated and it has, um, but people do want the ability to have control and freedom over their own life. And I think that technology has proven now that we have not all but many people have the ability to work wherever they want and still be just as effective. So there's now freedom of like location that is obviously going to be a a trend that is on the rise as offices start to reopen and once there is a choice available. And sooner or later there will be, and there already is a trend of people who are working independently, whether it's journalists and you see the rise of, of Substack, or you see something like TaskRabbit or Handy, where people who are like repairmen or, or just handy, a handyman, they can go do things on their own. Or you have Uber, you know, people choosing their own hours. That's going to trickle down into many other areas in the economy. It's not just going to be the tasks and the odd jobs that we're seeing today it's going to be the the unique jobs and it's going to be corporate jobs too we're going to start to see them contract work is probably going to increase a lot um but a lot of that is just because it comes with the control and the the benefits outweigh the costs of being able to kind of be your own boss and have control over your lifestyle and flexibility and also the freedom to say what you want without being canceled now, within reason, you obviously want to uphold a, a decent reputation and be a respectful human being and treat people with respect, but you can at least be your own person. Yeah, because at the end of the day, your brand will still designate really who wants to do business with you. Your your, your skill will too, but yes. um, you're still going to be uh, wanting to attract money from sources. Yeah, the, the one challenge I do think we have to really work through and maybe we don't have to work through it, but I, I think we will. I really do. It'll be healthcare. It'll be the real challenge um, with the self-employed economy, just because m- for many people, their healthcare is tied to their employment. Uh, yeah, and 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 so one quick point is this is just my opinion, but the interesting part about like being a subcontract, being self-employed. I actually think that the 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 reason why uh a lot of the opinions uh I don't know how to phrase this necessarily but when you're on your own and you do good work and nobody has a liability over you like nobody has a liability when you're on your own uh I don't actually think people give a crap as much I just think that it's 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 running a business being a CEO it's all very difficult right now yeah so like but, but there's also there's also the risk of doing really good work and being a really good self-employed worker that gets paid by their clients or whoever your customers are and does really good work and maybe makes above average money 
But all it takes is one car accident or one illness or something that if you aren't insured, it can put you under. And so I'm saying that I'm not saying that I'm not trying to force a belief on someone, but I am saying that it's a risk and it's a risk that has to be carefully considered. Yes. And I think that this now presents an opportunity in the marketplace to solve it. Now, it's one of the most regulated industries out there. So we'll see if innovation can take place or what's going to happen. But I just believe that it is an issue that needs to be solved and a risk that needs to be mitigated before people are fully willing to take that next step and that leap, especially when they have kids or they have dependents or other people who rely on them for the health care that they're currently getting from their employer. Well, yeah, and, and those are just realities. And one could argue that, you know, when you're going into these lines of career, right? Like those are the, some of the big decisions you have to make when you take out college debt, when you choose where you're going to school. And then when you have a family, um, that probably are, uh, underestimated decisions. And, you know, some of that could evolve naturally in just the simple fact that if there are not W2 jobs with home, you know, health insurance available and some of those start to deplete, uh, you could definitely see a wave of people, even maybe already has been, just simply going to do it on their own. Definitely. And there's there's a lot of times where the opportunity is just too good to pass up to just being on your own. So I think I'm bullish on the market outlook for the kind of, if you want to call it the self-employed economy, the gig economy, the decentralized workforce economy, whatever you want to call it. I think that's what's coming. Just you look at what, what Twitter just did with the super follow. You look at what Substack's doing with journalists. It's a thing. It's happening. It's coming faster and faster. Look at Patreon, right? Look at podcasting. Look at how many people it's, I mean, there's a lot of podcasts out there, but think about how many people actually, there's a lot of people that make money, like a living, yes, just straight up off a podcast. Yep, yep. And and that's an example of this decentralized workforce. There's they are not reporting to anyone. I mean, sometimes people sign contracts with these podcasts, but the vast majority of people doing podcasts are not signed to a contract. No, um, and I don't have any actual statistics on how many people are employed in these segments of uh, the industries that have already transitioned, but. It's no longer just the recognizable names. No, and it's also one thing to hit home is like you don't need to make a podcast or something your full-time job. And you don't need to make a livable wage just on a podcast. You can do a podcast and you can do something else, right? And you can you can make half of a oh you know living wage from both of those and together you get a living wage right like something like that i mean just just an example and so i think that multiple multiple jobs and being self-employed will be kind of the next real wave but i don't know it's not going to be a light switch where like you turn it on and then oh my gosh 
look at how different everything is. It won't be like that. It's a slow bleed into this new territory. Well, everything always is. Yeah. And before you know it, you're like, oh, wow. Most people are, they don't work for a company. Well, and that's the subtlety that, you know, is potentially dangerous on a lot of the things that we've experienced, um, you know, becoming permanent in habit. And, um, you know, there's been progression. Kids are going back to school. Um, people are moving around. There's expectations of the economy to open up and take off. But, yeah, like, we're going to see if there's any really remnants of of the leftover effect from, you know, basically human behavior manipulation. And I think some of it's real. I mean, I've seen some examples, you know, in my own life of unconsciously just... Um, People's behavior. People's behavior, man. Like, straight up. Okay, so, sorry to cut you off. But it blows my mind that we have now just accepted many of these behaviors as the norm. And they don't have to be. Like, shake... Okay, just an example. And I'm not saying you have to shake people's hands. But shaking hands used to be a, a thing. Like, straight up. Like, how you doing? Good to see you. Shaking a hand. Some people are were against it before the pandemic. But now... I know so many people who their instinct is now to give me an elbow. And if I would have done that before the pandemic started, they're like, what are you, what is it? What is this guy doing? Yeah. I just ran into that at the gym tonight and like, dude, it's the gym. Like it's full of people everywhere. They do a great job of the facility, but I just think that is silly. I think it's silly. Yeah. That's my opinion. But I gave him an elbow and it was all good, whatever. No, not my business. Um, but but behavior has changed and people aren't looking at the fact that like, wow, like this is like a psychology experiment. <laughs> like it really is. Like, oh, how how long is it going to take to change behavior on a on a large scale? It's definitely a social and psychology experiment, whether for, you know, good intentions, bad intentions, good results, bad results. We'll, we'll see. But. I do think that takes a long time to shake out. And, you know, I do think that there was a lost year. I mean, this this really was fifth, what is it, going on 12 months now? Yeah, next month. It was March 16th was so when let's our just state had say, the Yeah, March 16th. So let's just say the expectations of midsummer are correct and there's 15, 16 months of it. Dude, I mean, this is a lost year. The, the my kids unfortunately did not get the same level of experience this year in life like they just didn't and um as an adult you can you can definitely adapt and and be conscious of yourself and everything else but oh man this was a lost year uh there was there was not a lot of real life learning experiences for this year they 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 certainly were band-aided and patched over and um I just don't think that that was a a real good thing looking forward, in my opinion. No. I mean, obviously, there's positives and negatives to be weighed from both of them. But at at the end of the day, for for many people, especially those with the least control over their their own lives and their trajectory, which, in my opinion, are those who are toward either end of the age spectrum, you know, either very young, the younger you are or, or the the older you are. 
um, the more difficult it becomes to have control over your life. And this last year has has definitely been one um, where a lot of control was lost and for everyone. And it was a sad year for many reasons. Many people, many people lost lives. Many people lost control. Many people, you know, gained new mental illnesses or things like that. There's also a lot of good that came from it, though. You know, there I became I was very fortunate enough. I became closer to a lot of my friends. I was able to naturally. I wouldn't say weed out, but there were relationships that were already gone that were able to just naturally kind of dissipate. And I I didn't have to do anything, you know, actionable. Um, I also just learned a lot and I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm in better health than I was at the beginning of the year. And I'm not sitting here trying to brag, but I'm just trying to like, at least look on the bright side. Like there are good things, but there's also bad things. And there's good and bad things in literally every scenario in life. Absolutely. Um, for sure. Uh, learning through this wild experience, which is not over, um, was was an eye-opener, right? And I think there's a lot of things to continue to be grateful for. Like, we, we might have things that uh, I am concerned about. But like there, there is a lot to be grateful for. Um, we do live in a country that, in all things considered, dude, in my opinion, is still pretty damn good. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. And we have the time has not run out. You no, know? it is not. We we still have a chance to come back, and I still have faith that we'll get there. But. Dude, it's interesting, man. Like, there, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely people out there uh, that like carry that high energy personality, and it spreads, and everything will likely go back to where you are forced to interact with people in a regular manner. I do think that will be a demand of society at some point, um, and I also think it's just in the best interest of our country. So it will definitely evolved to that point and 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 the memory is short to be honest so if we can get to that point uh i i think i have high hopes i'm sick of waiting for it though i'm sick i'm getting (laughs) i've been impatient yeah i was impatient for the first 15 days and then the month and the quarter and then the six months and now it's like a year and i'm all right really getting antsy but you know, ask yourself, like, what do you want? I, in my opinion, if you had to poll, I'm I ge- I'm genuinely curious. I think I know the answer, but I don't actually know. If you had to poll every single American, like, hey, completely anonymous survey. If nothing changed with the virus or with the scenario today, do you want things to stay the way they are right now forever? Or do you do you just want to go back to to the way things were prior to the virus? I think most people would have a pretty easy decision. I don't think we'll actually see either. I think we'll see a blend. There will be some components that stay, like because other pandemics are supposedly inevitable. 
Absolutely. And there's just there's just some benefits from efficiency standpoint that have been identified from companies and they're not going away. Yeah, definitely. And and so I hope we stick with the good and I hope we do away with the bad. Which will be, you know, critical thinking, skepticism, <laughs> curiosity, hopefully. It'll, it'll take well and it'll take that to, 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 to really make those decisions on what, what's good and what's bad and what do we keep and what do we get rid of. I mean, or you don't have to do that to just make a decision. I just think that would probably not turn out super awesome. I would agree. But that is that is that is basically what I get off on doing. I mean, that's basically what I what I do. Uh, it, it definitely can be obsessive at times. Actually, I think I'm pretty sure. Critical thinking. Yeah, I'm and, just a critical thinking addict. Uh, yeah, and a Bitcoin addict. But yes, yes, critical thinking about Bitcoin. All right. Well, what do you say? Thank you for listening, guys. Hopefully this sparks some of your own thoughts and analysis on uh, how you perceive information, what you do with it, um, and and your emotional reaction to it. And that's kind of what I ask myself uh, every time that I run into new information. And I, and I constantly run into it on purpose, uh, new information. Definitely. And, and before we wrap up, one thing I just want to say and encourage people, if you've made it this far... Clearly, we said something that sparked your interest. And all that I ask is to just keep that interest and keep that level of curiosity, whether that's natural to you or whether it doesn't feel natural. I think that the questions that you have or that you could be asking, they are valuable and they are important. And you should continue to ask them and you should continue to be skeptical, whether that's to yourself, to a close friend or to a broader audience. Just continue to try and form your own thoughts and, and and whether that means documenting them through a podcast or writing them down or do something that allows you to hold on to yourself and ensure that you're not blending in with the crowd because your uniqueness and your individuality is important and, and you can document that and maintain that through showcasing some curiosity and some skepticism. So thank you for listening. Please follow the podcast on whatever your favorite podcasting platform is and look forward to seeing you next time.